You are listening to Pastor Mike Greiner of Harvest Community Church in Catanning, Pennsylvania. We pray that you will be challenged today as you listen to a sermon entitled, What is the Bible? Recorded on January 27th, 2019. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org. Let's join Pastor Mike as he preaches. Well, hello, Harvest Community Church. I'm, re- I'm really glad to be here at all four campuses at one time. Listen, uh, my name is Mike. If you're a first-time guest, welcome to Harvest. And I don't normally talk about how I'm feeling um, physically from the pulpit. Actually, my very first preaching seminary prof told me never tell anyone if you're not feeling 100% in the pulpit. If you're too sick that you got to talk about it, you're too sick to preach. And so I feel a bit like a pansy now. But just in case I go into a coughing spell, I want you to know no one has to jump up here and save my life. I'm going to be okay. I got the flu, the real one, I, uh, influenza A this time, and uh, when I get the flu, um, I'm apparently its favorite feeder food. It goes right, I mean, everything that can happen to the body, um, you start praying for the second coming, and, uh, so it's been well over a week, and, um, but I did see the doctor, and she told me how long to stay in the house, and I did not come out for eight days. And uh, so these are the ravages that's still hanging on there. So I'm sorry to have to apologize for that. But it also allows me to apologize for this. I wanted to be here last week when we uh, blessed Redemption Church and sent off those guys. I I really wanted to be a part of that. And uh, we thank God for what he's going to do through them. Um, And I also wanted to be here because it was was a pro-life Sunday. And I always like to mention something about that. Hopefully you're getting your baby bottles um, to... Bits of bad news hit me on that, um, then maybe hit you too. One is uh, Iowa had passed a law that, that said if, if something has a heartbeat, you can't kill it if it's human. Seems reasonable to me. Who's with me? Um, uh, but one of their state judges said, no, no, that, that's unconstitutional. And then, I don't know if any of you saw the debacle in New York's uh, government house where they all, they passed... Um, on Roe v. Wade Day, Wade Day, they passed a, a law saying that a human's not a human unless it's born and alive. And that therefore, for whatever reason, you might want to take out a baby before that you can, all the way up to its birthday. And um, so, and then but the sick part was these people were cheering throughout the chamber. Um, and those things make me very sorrowful. I don't know about you. Um, because it's, it, it says our culture, our, our cultural fabric is tearing. You know, the wheels are falling off this great nation at the cultural level. And we could sit and act like that's not true, <laughs> like America is great again, but we're just blowing smoke to ourselves. The wheels are falling off this baby. And um, there's a lot of hate, a lot of anger. You know, might even feel like giving up. And, and to that, I say, we never stop. We fill those baby bottles, we save every life, and we save every soul. Because we are sons and daughters of Jesus Christ, the living God. He died for us. He made us for such a time as this. Jesus said at the end times, lawlessness will increase. Right? Lawlessness. I think we've got that in the United States. People don't think anything is right or wrong And he says, because lawlessness increases, says Jesus, the love of many grows cold. 
And those are ominous words, and I never want them to be spoken of us. If chaos happens out there, let every Christian kitchen table be an island of sanity for any who will enter in. Let every church be a sanctuary. Right? We, Jesus said, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? Well, I want to be able to say to him, you bet he will, because we'll be here, hopefully. <laughs> so don't get discouraged. Don't lose heart. Don't hate the people. The demons are running crazy out there, and, and people are getting hurt by it, but we're still, we're still the people of God. And so let's fight the fight for life until the fight is done. Every saved baby is a, is a victory. But that was all the stuff I was going to talk about last week, not this week, so I didn't say that. Let's move on to this week and talk about the Bible. Um, what is the Bible? I want to answer that from a biblical point of view. What's the Bible say it is about itself? The Bible has two main divisions. It was very helpful for me as a new Christian when someone said to me, did you know that the Bible has two halves? I said, because I wanted to know what's the difference between the New Testament and the Old Testament. Because if it's an old one, it's obsolete. And they said, no, no, the Old Testament is before Jesus came, and the New Testament is after. Well, that time delineation really helped me. I mean, there's much more to it than that. But if you said, I didn't even know that, don't feel bad, I was there once. We all start somewhere. I actually brought in today as my prop a Tanakh. Tanakh. Since it's Hebrew, you gotta, you got to kind of have the cold sound you hear in my voice, and you gotta, you got to get some phlegm moving back there and go, it's Tanakh, which is the Torah, the Neveim, and the Ketuvim. This is an actual, I don't know how you say it, people who revere and love the Bible translated this from the original Hebrew, but none of them are Christians. <laughs> this is a, so it's a Jewish Bible, if you will, and um, uh, you can get one, and you'll find if you read it, it's almost exactly, with a few different numerations, almost exactly what you have that you call your Old Testament. And if you, you, can, you can lead a, a Jew to Christ using his book, because this is the book the apostles used to lead people to Christ. So anyway, you might want to get a Tanakh sometime. If you do get a Tanakh, and you do want to show it to a Jewish person, do not write in it. We Christians love to write in our Bibles. Jews do not. Um, so let's begin with the Old Testament. What is the Old Testament about? Well, it starts with, in the beginning, God. So it's a book about God. But God did something. God created the heavens and the earth. So his crea- he, there's a God, he's a creator, and then very quickly, that story doesn't take very long in Genesis before you see the point of the story is humanity, mankind. He is the crown of creation, the king of creation. To this day, the most important thing creation is the human being, which is why it is such a travesty that human beings could kill a baby with a heartbeat, but they will throw you in jail for taking the egg of a bald eagle because they don't realize a bald eagle is worth dust. It's worth nothing compared to a human. Now, that doesn't mean a bald eagle is worth nothing. They're majestic. They're made in the image of God. They're beautiful. You shouldn't kill them all and leave their eggs alone. What do you need a bald eagle egg for? You got plenty of chicken eggs. Eat those. But it's nothing Every bald eagle that's ever been hatched and lived since the beginning of time till now is not worth one baby because God made humans the crown of his creation and he put all earth under them and he made us different. He made us in his image. He made us to commune with us. He made us to be rational beings, to think. We're not like the rest of creation anywhere. 
So then trouble begins when man falls, and that's right at the beginning. Adam and Eve in the garden, all the jokes that people have about the apple. It wasn't an apple. We don't know what kind of fruit it was. Um, certainly wasn't an apple. I like apples, but they wouldn't be here if that was what it was. But when Adam and Eve fell into sin, what, what the problem was, once they started making babies, all the little babies were like them, not holy. And God still loved Adam and Eve, but he will not commune with sin. Not even in someone he loves, Adam and Eve. So what we're introduced to at the very beginning of the Old Testament is God made man, man fell, and that's the problem. And the whole rest of the Bible talks about God's plan to fix the central problem. So our first map point sums that up. The central problem of the book is mankind's fall into sin. That, that's the problem that the whole Bible's solving. Okay, that, that's, that's it. If, if you read a, a story, it could be fiction or nonfiction, but if it's coherent, if it makes sense, it presents a problem and solves the problem. Well, the problem of the Bible, mankind fell into sin, therefore what man loved most that on the earth is now not able to coexist with him. The Bible reveals God's plan to rescue Adam's race from sin and death. One thing you can do if, if, if your project goes south is you throw the entire project away and start over. God does not do that. He said, I am not throwing Adam's race away. I'm gonna keep him. And he's gonna make a bunch of little sinners and he's gonna ruin everything I did. And I'm gonna find a way to rescue his race with the battle against sin and death. So the most, that's the big picture, got it? You with me? See, it's easy. The most revered man in the Old Testament, the most revered, respected, lifted up, important man in the Old Testament is Abraham, okay, Abraham. In a sense, you can say, well, the most important one's Adam because without him, there's none of them. Yeah, but let's not split hairs. If you were to, to read this book a thousand times, you would see Abraham is the man, Okay, why is Abraham the man? Because God looked at Adam's race and he chose him and says, Abraham, as they begin to populate the earth after the flood, he said, Abraham, I'm gonna do something with you that's going to be the solution to the problem of the book. Abraham, you're my hero. I'm pulling you out. You're gonna be the one who brings the solution to the problem that mankind is sinful and I cannot dwell with sinful man. And we see this, he's introduced to us first as talking to God in Genesis 12. Very important verses here if you look at one to three of 12. If you're a Bible memorizer, these are always good. Um, you'll notice that, the, that Abram is named Abraham. If you're already to the end of Genesis or getting far in your Bible reading, you'll know that changes to Abraham. Um, but uh, for now, that's the same guy. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country, from your kin, from your kinfolk, you know, your family, and your father's house to the land I will show you. I need you to not be around the locals. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you, and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. 
I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And look at this last line, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And here's the picture. There is no Jewish religion, there's no Christian religion, there's no good religion on the earth. There's just, you either believe in the creator God or you don't, and it's that simple. And God says, okay, Abraham, come here. I'm gonna make you a nation. That nation's gonna be Israel. He's gonna be the father of all the Jews. Physically, the father of most of them, because he's gonna give birth. They could do their little 23 and me, and they say, oh, we all have the same guy. How's that work? And he says, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless you, which means God's favor is going to be on that nation. And then he says, in you all the families or nations or people groups or tribes of the earth shall be blessed. In other words, in Abraham, every family of the earth will gain the favor of God. The solution to the problem of, this is very general language, by the way. He doesn't say how. He just says what. But the solution to the problem of sin will come through Abraham, and it will go to the nations. Do you see that? You you who especially know the New Testament, do you see that? In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So let's write that down, too. That's an important step. The call of Abraham summarizes God's plan to save mankind. In short, God will make Abraham into a nation, the Jews, or Israel, which he will, from which, excuse me, I left a word out, he will bring forth the Messiah, Jesus. Jesus is the Jew. (laughs) And all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And then Jesus, when he dies for the sins of the world, and then he is proclaimed among the nations, they will believe in him. And, And people from every tribe and every tongue will be blessed by God and the curse reversed through him. So Abraham is the most important, revered man in the Old Testament. If it wasn't for Jesus, you'd probably have to say in the New also. He's the father of all the Jews. But then as you carry on through the Old Testament, I think you'd have to say the next most important man is Moses. Moses wrote the first five books of the Old Testament. He is the greatest prophet. The Jews would say he's our greatest prophet ever. And and, and by prophet, what would they mean? They'd mean this. The God who who we serve talks to us through that guy. He doesn't talk to us directly, and we have no source of knowledge except Moses. Moses goes on mountains. He gets gets tablets. He chats with him. He calls him on the phone. He can talk to God. And then he comes and he tells us what God says, and he writes it down. That's what a prophet is. He's a go-between who brings verbal truths directly from God that he heard from him. He, he can't answer all the questions because he doesn't know all the answers. He only knows what God told him in the moment. And you may want to say, well, why didn't God tell you more? And he says, I don't know, leave me alone. That's all God said. But he's the mouthpiece of God. He gave the law. Leviticus, Right? Um, he, he, Exodus, the Ten Commandments. He speaks for God. He began the Bible, right? He got it going. The Jews were a people of the book from the time of Moses on. Now Moses came 500 years almost after Abraham or 400 and something years after Abraham, right? So there's a lot of Jews now. Abraham's dead. Moses says, we gotta write this stuff down. God told him what to write. 
and then he recorded the history of the Jewish people. Okay, after you get done with those books of Moses, the next 34 books of the Old Testament, they are the story of Abraham's people. This is what happened to them after that. You start with Joshua. This is what happened to them after Moses died. You go to Judges. This is what happened to them after Joshua died. You go to Samuel. This is what happened at the end of the period of the Judges. You go to Kings. This is what happened to them after Samuel's dead and David and Solomon and all those other guys take over. And you keep going to Ezra and Nehemiah. Nehemiah. Nehemiah's good. There's probably a Nehemiah in there somewhere. Nehemiah. And Daniel, and you're like, this is what happened to him after God got angry at him for not serving him and kicked him off the land, right? That's what, that's what the book's about. And then there's a bunch of other prophets within those pages and some that wrote their own book. Like Elijah did not write a book of the Bible, but you have a lot of his prophecies written in those books. But then you have Jeremiah, who did write a book of the Bible, the longest one. And you have Isaiah, and you have Joel, and Amos, and Obadiah, and Habakkuk, and all these other people. And what they are are like little Moseses. God says, Israel needs a word right now. Go tell them this. And it could be a very narrow prophecy. It, doesn't, it only applies for them, that people, for a little while. Or it could be very broad, like Isaiah. Tell them, go tell them this. By his stripes we'll all be healed. Isaiah's probably like, can I get some more detail on by his stripes we'll all be healed? What does that mean? No, just tell him that. And those are the prophets. That's why by the time Jesus came, this book was often referred to as, excuse me a minute, either Moses and the prophets or the law and the prophets or just the prophets or just Moses. That's what they'd call the book. Bible just means book. And it doesn't have to have the word holy on it. The title of the Bible is not Holy Bible, okay? It's just book. It's really generic when you think about it. I mean, I think maybe one of the apostles could have come up with a little better summary statement for the whole thing, but it's just book. Well, they'd call this book the Old Testament, the Law and the Prophets. We call it the Old Testament. It's the same book. Same book. So God spoke through prophets, in words that could be written down from about 1,500 years before Christ to about 400 years before Christ. And then he stopped. Silence. Then he stopped. From Moses to Malachi, or Moses to Nehemiah, or some think Esther was the last, but it doesn't really matter. Around 400 B.C., God just stopped talking to his people. So they clung to this book. Really, for the first time ever, they definitely said, we're done with other gods. They clung to the book. This is all we've got. And they revered the book, and they studied the book, and they loved the book, and they waited and waited and waited, hoping God would talk to them again. And then 400 years of silence was ended when a single voice of a funny man dressed in funny clothes out in the wilderness stood up and said, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. After four centuries of silence, God sent the last prophet. John the Baptist, we call him, John the Baptizer. 
is why he's called the Baptist. It's not his denomination, as some Baptists want to claim. Okay, but he did get the good name, but all right. But he baptized people. And he was the first to come along in the mold of the prophets of the Old Testament for 400 years. And in Mark 1, it says this. This is how the book of Mark begins. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And it starts here. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, which says to any Jew reading that book, now we're going to talk about the book. This is authority. Behold, I will send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight his paths, said Isaiah 700 years before. Well then, says Mark, John is him. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So what you have in the New Testament, start, Mark is claiming, I have the authority to tell you that when Isaiah said that 700 years ago, he meant John the Baptist. Now, John's message God's speaking to his people again. What's he saying? It's new. It's, it's, it's the Lord is almost here. The Messiah, who you saw prophesied in this book, is here. He's here. Get your stuff together. Because <laughs> God has shown up. I, don't, I really have trouble laughing because it makes me cough right now. <laughs> and, So I'm going to try to not say anything that makes me laugh. (coughs) Normally I tell all my jokes to myself. If other people think they're funny, that's fine. But that actually cracked me up that get your stuff together. The Son of Man is here is John's message. I don't, that's not sanctioned. Let's stick with the word. Here's how it said it in the Bible. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So here is John, who is a holy man. His birth was remarkable, much more remarkable than Jesus's. And everyone knew about it. No one knew about Jesus's. And everyone talked about what John would grow up to be. And he, he, he was obviously some sort of Nazarite priest. He let his hair grow or something. He ate bugs. He, he didn't touch women or wine. And, and, and all he did was pray out in the wilderness. And now he he's must be a great prophet. And he says, someone's coming who I can't touch his shoe. And I'm putting water on your head. He puts the Holy Spirit on your head. 400 years of silence, the new prophet says, Messiah is here. Now, you know this story, hopefully, most of you. The thing to catch, though, uh, that's a detail. It's not front and center. The front and center is Jesus is here. But the detail is, the question, does this mean the way you talk to us is going to change? The way you've always talked to us was you'd send a guy, like Moses, or like this Guy in the wilderness eating bugs, like him. And he would tell us. But now Messiah himself is coming. Are are you going to talk to us differently now, God? Jesus shows up 
And he says, baptize me. John's like, I don't want to baptize you. Jesus says, shut up and baptize me. <laughs> and he, bab- he doesn't say that, but he, he says, baptize me anyway. And he, and he baptizes them. The spirit descends. John goes, it's really him, guys. I know it. And then as if that wasn't enough, God opens the clouds and says, well, we don't know if he opens the clouds, but a voice comes from heaven and he says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. What's the difference between a prophet telling you that's him and God telling you himself? Whew. And what the prophet said about him is he says, this is the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He announced something radical to the Jews. You've always given lambs a sacrifice for sin. It never would have occurred to you that God himself would provide a lamb for himself who wasn't a lamb. So let's write this part out too. God spoke for himself in the hearing of all present, saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. I'm psyched about this young man. He says, this moment, I'm saying that, that's where the quote ends. This moment ended the age of prophets writing the Bible. And he began a new and better way. God's son stood on the earth for all to see and hear. Now the earth can see and hear directly from God. If you write a great book, people will analyze it to death. That's what they do. If you, you want to read a lot of good writing, you could pick, a, say, a Dickens book like David Copperfield and just read all the people who have criticized it or talked about it throughout the years and you'll read some of the greatest authors because they write chapters on that book. And they all tell you what it says, what the author was doing. But wouldn't it be better if you could actually ask Charles Dickens what he meant? Jesus is on the stage now. You don't got to ask a prophet. Here's the creator. What do you need to know? You know, I made it all. I'm doing it all. I'm handling it all. What do you need to know? Jesus, therefore, is greater than everyone who wrote in the Old Testament. It does not mean he does not value the Old Testament because those were his words passed on by people he loved who gave their lives to be prophets for him. He doesn't set them aside. Let's look briefly in the Gospels to see how Jesus approaches this book, how he looks at this book. In Matthew 11, 13, he says, for all the prophets and law prophesied until John. See, I didn't make that part up. Jesus told us. Remember, the law and the prophets, prophets and law means the Old Testament. That's how they say book. He said up until John, that's, that's how we talked. And then he says in Matthew five seventeen. Don't think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. Andy Stanley keeps getting himself in trouble by trying to explain what he thinks is simple theology that, right, I don't know if you've heard of this, now it's like the Ten Commandments don't matter. Andy, just shut up when you're behind. I'm just trying to say we're under grace. Shut up, that's not how you say it. It's not how Jesus said it. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. He's saying, I value this book. I haven't come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. 
For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot. For us, that would be a dotted I, right? Or a cross T will pass from the law until all is accomplished. So he reveres the book. He wrote it. Luke 24, 44. He says, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. That everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets, and he adds, and the Psalms, just in case you didn't realize the poetic books are his too, must be fulfilled. So about this book, what he says, I am speaking words to you now, and they're very important. The law and the prophets and the Psalms, all they do is, all they were ever, all this was ever about was Jesus. Call Ben Shapiro. This is about Jesus. Call your favorite Jew. This is always, that's all it's ever been about. And, and that's what Jesus is saying. These are my words, he says. These are my words that I spoke to you. This is about me. Jesus validates, therefore, every word of the Old Testament. People say, I don't know every word of the Old Testament. Well, Jesus, this is, this is the book he had. 400 years of silence they had the same exact canon of Old Testament scripture that we have today. It's this one. And he said every word, not a dot. So if Jesus says every word of the Old Testament's true, it's good enough for me. Well, where does the New Testament come from then? The New Testament is Jesus' teachings through his apostles. He didn't write it down. He just said it. But he trained 12 and Paul. And we don't have time to tell the story of Paul or why Paul is also an apostle, but he is. His credentials verified within the book of Acts. But he trained the 12 and Paul as his, really, 13 apostles. It's always called the 12. The New Testament, let's write this part down. This is the summary. Did not come by a prophet. It did not come by a prophet. It came from the mouth of God himself and by the Holy Spirit through the apostles who are all dead. It's important we get that because throughout history, some very important, some not so important, people pop up and say they are prophets who bring special words from God. And very often they cause much, much trouble to many people. One of them, one of them, is named Joseph Smith, who said, I am a prophet. I hear from God. He gave me new words. Like he's Jeremiah, and he writes the Book of Mormon. Well, he is a liar. Like Mohammed. Mohammed, who came centuries after Christ, he said, I am a prophet. I have new words. He writes the Quran. That is not how God speaks. So there's people today, much smaller, who want to be led by a private voice of the Holy Spirit rather than the Bible. I'm telling you, you're in a danger zone. I am not saying God can never talk to you any way he wants. He can. I'm not God. I'm not saying he, has, he won't do it. 
won't say he won't speak to a Muslim in a dream or whatever. What I'm saying to you, if you're seeking to hear, you want to be led by the voice of God through a private word in your spirit, you're going to get weird. And you're going to get whack and you're going to get wrong. That's not how God speaks. I'm not, I don't have time to break down the details of that that I just said but there are those of you who know exactly what I'm getting at. He can speak any way he wants to speak. But if he does, let me, look, let me put it this way. If someone comes up to you and says, God told me something, don't believe them unless you can absolutely verify it 100%. Period. If it can't be verified 100%. So if some Muslim guy comes to you and says, I had a dream. He said, come here. I saw a man, he said his name was Jesus. If I come here, I'd find a man named Larry and he would tell me the gospel. In fact, he came here because he was looking for someone to preach to. And you happen to be named Larry. You happen to go there looking for someone to preach to. And that guy didn't know you. Okay, let's say that's God. But if someone walks up to you and says, I think God gave me a message for you. God said this. Smile, be kind, think about it, and walk away. This is not unspiritual language I'm giving you. I am not a cessationist. If you don't know what that is, don't worry about it. If you do, I'm not that. But wackiness comes in if you think you need to be led every moment of your life through some kind of private, I was talking to God, I just felt he wanted me to do this. You're gonna be nuts. And you're gonna listen more to your gut and you will think it's holy and you'll lead others astray. Let me show you what the Bible says about the New Testament. Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Now that's not a new idea. I just got done talking to you about that. That's, he's saying God spoke to us Jews by the prophets. That's how he talked to us. Then he says this, but in these last days, you might say, what are the last days? Well, to, to the Christian, to the Jew of the first century who's a believer, everything after this is the last days. The Messiah has come. We live in the last days from the time Christ came, died on a cross, resurrected, and went to heaven. This is the end. Why is it the last days? Here's the reason why. Because the plot of the book has reached its climax. Now in any book, a climax of a story is when you already know the outcome, everything's pretty much done. The, the plot, the story can end quickly, or if it's J.R.R. Tolkien, you, you get hobbits talking about things forever. But the, really, the story's over. Right? It's, the story's over. The problem, Adam fell. The solution... Jesus Christ died for sins of the world. When Jesus was on that cross dying as the innocent man for your sins and mine, listen, when he said, it is finished, that was the climax of the story. It's over. What's finished? Your sin. The thing that separated you from God. The thing that separated me from God is done. Problem solved. Jesus goes, I'm going to drop the mic right here. 
The Lamb of God has atoned for Adam's race. It was in the book, right? In the book, if Isaiah, you have Abraham, the most important man, taking his son Isaac up onto a hill to, to kill him because God said kill him. Kill him. He said, okay, I'm going to obey God. He's always good. And on the way up the hill, the kid's like, hey, where's the sacrifice? Isaac said, or Abraham said, God will provide the sacrifice for himself. And that was a prophetic way, and he did. He didn't kill Isaac. He gave him a, a, a ram. That was prophetic of Jesus. Adam's race cannot save himself. God will provide a sacrifice for himself. And he did. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And he hung on a cross and he said, Father, forgive him. It is finished. And Mike's sins were paid for and your sins were paid for. You're forgiven. Why don't you take a moment now and and let that in because it'll make you nervous. It might even make you scared to think that. You're absolutely forgiven right now. (laughs) It's done. The The rest of life is just playing out the string. So it's finished. That's why they say last days. How does God talk to us in the last days? He says, but in these last days, God has spoken to us by his son. You see, there's a contrast there. He's comparing back then by the prophets. Not anymore. Now by his son. The New Testament came from the letters of the apostles to the local churches. That's what it is. Jesus appointed 12 men and then later appointed Paul to tell his story. They were eyewitnesses. They knew him personally. They heard the message directly from him, including Paul, and they repeated what they saw and what they heard as eyewitnesses. That's why there aren't any more of these guys. They're dead. But they were authoritative. And they wrote these letters which they needed to do because apostles don't last forever. So they got to write it down. And the local churches clung to these letters. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, Corinthians, and on and on. The authority of the apostles is important we get here. If we can't make the jump from Jesus said it to the apostles wrote it, we don't have a reason for a New Testament. This is the claim of the New Testament itself. Hebrews 2, we're still in the same book. It's actually the same argument, but we're going to skip a lot of it for time. Jump to the beginning of the second chapter. Look at verse 2. He says, For since the message declared by angels or visitors from heaven proved to be reliable, he's referring, you have to just read all of one and you'll catch it. He's referring to the messengers from heaven who brought the Old Testament, who brought the word, Right? And every transgression and disobedience received a retribution. He's saying, if everything they said could get you killed, because it's that important, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? He's saying, isn't what Jesus said even more important? That's, what, that's the argument. Now watch this. It was declared. What was declared? What was, what's the It. It was declared. What? What's the it? Look at that. 
to sentence, it has a meaning. He says it. What's it? What is it? What is it? Go back. The great salvation message, isn't it? He's talking about the message of salvation. What we call the gospel, the good news, the words of Christ. The words of Christ, the gospel. Jesus came to preach. It was declared at first by the Lord. Jesus declared the message. Not the apostles. They didn't think it up. He did it. But it was attested to us. So he's going down a generation. Someone came between us and Jesus. Who? But those who heard. Who were they? Those are your apostles. Now watch this. While God bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit. So you have this picture of you got Peter, who's not Jesus. Jesus is in heaven. Peter says, Jesus told me to tell you this stuff. And it's true. And the Holy Spirit burns your heart when you hear him say it. Because God is, it says God is bearing witness. And then God's like, and in case you're not listening, pick that dude up, Peter. Peter says, silver and gold have I none, you crippled dude, get up. And he gets up. Because that must, the guy who preached the message said God healed that guy. We're dealing with a powerful God here. That's what this says. That's exactly what the text says. Look, it's a, it's a simple, it's a, it, it's a simple three-step thing, but... When did Jesus teach the apostles the official gospel that no one's supposed to add to or subtract from? When did he do that? He did it before he died, but he did it more after he died. He did it before he died, but he did it more after he died. Right? He was, when he rose from the dead, he was... 40 days on this earth. And during those 40 days on this earth, he did not appear to unbelievers. He did not do miracles for unbelievers like he did before. He did not argue with Pharisees. He only met with the 12 plus some other 490 other people. That's what the Bible says. He only met with about 500 believers. But he, what did he do during that time? Well, one thing he did was eat fish. Why not? The second thing he did was teach. Eat fish and teach. That's what he did. As Scott showed you last week, you had those two guys on the road to Emmaus. What did the Bible say he did with those guys? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets... He interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself, Luke 24, 27. This is Moses and the prophets. He said, let's open the Bible, boys. Here's Jesus, here's Jesus, here's Jesus, here's Jesus, here's Jesus. They broke the bread, he disappeared, they went, whoa. How about this? This comes a little farther. He's talking to the apostles and he says, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you and everything written about me in the law of Moses, in the prophets, in the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then look what it says here. He opened their minds to understand the scriptures. 
he was talking to them, and they, you've been reading this book for years, and you didn't know it was me when I came along. Okay, I'm going to make this easier for you. Holy Spirit, do a brain zap on them. Brain zap. Oh, I see. Now I get it. In Psalm 22, when it said they pierced his hands and feet, and somebody pierced your hands and feet. Duh! In Isaiah 53, where it says they will lay him in the dust of death, and yet he will be among the brethren. That was the resurrection. Duh! When you, when you came in on the donkey, there it was! Your, the, your king will come riding in on a donkey. You know, you could see the apostles said, I told you that was the, the sign. You didn't know nothing until after the resurrection, just like me. And he said to them, thus it is written, the Christ should suffer on the third day rise from the dead, that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. That's the plan. Problem, may have fallen to sin. Solution, Abraham, I'm gonna bless all the nations through you. Done. Beginning in Jerusalem. You're my witnesses. One last time from Hebrews chapter two. This is the message of the Old Testament or the New Testament. It was declared at first by the Lord. It was attested to us by those who heard and God bore witness. Three steps. God speaks. Two, the apostles attest. Three, God backs up the words. The 12 were the only one given the authority cults and weirdos come up throughout the years or good solid churches you know what's the problem with the catholic church today it's not that they don't have the truth it's that they get away from it what's the problem with the united methodist church and i'm not talking about any individual catholic or individual united methodist but if you watch the news you know the united methodists are getting freaky on some things what's the what's the problem with the united presbyterian church or the presbyterian church usa are they marrying people who shouldn't be married. Well, they had the truth, but they slipped away. They leave the Bible. And then what's the, truth, what's the problem with Jehovah's Witnesses? Well, they had the truth, but they added to it. They came up with their own garbage, right? The authority of the New Testament is, is done. There's not gonna be any more great re- revelators coming to show us what God wants us to know. When the apostles died, that was it. They couldn't stay forever, so they wrote it down, and they wrote it down in Greek. Great language. So let me um, finish with a verse from John. Because I guess the question is, why do I want you to read the Bible? Why do I want to read the Bible? Why do you want to, to buy Bibles and give them away? Why should people read the Bible? to communicate how God worked out his plan to save Adam's race. John, the apostle who claims he was the closest to Jesus, and he might have been, at the end of his gospel, he writes this. Have you ever seen this before? Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. He said, I could have written for years. But the ones are, these are written so you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. The purpose of the book is that you, Adam's offspring, can know God and gain eternal life through Jesus Christ. 
That's the purpose. That's it. That's it. It's the most precious book in the universe. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. We invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.